And then, all right, brethren, so last time in Ephesians, Aaron had preached a sermon entitled "Being or, or Making the Best Use of the Time. And we had looked at, uh, when Aaron preached, about uh, the importance of making the best use of our time in light of the evil days, in light of the days, uh, the, the days of difficulty, the days of hardship. And we looked at the importance of being filled with the Spirit and how that plays out in the life of, of the Christian, particularly in the life of the church, uh, through these things like singing, praying, and serving one another. If you remember, that's what Aaron preached on a few weeks back here. And this morning, we're going to be continuing to look at how the gospel is lived out in the midst of us. How, how the gospel is demonstrated, and now Paul's going to dive into this area of the home. This area of the home. And this morning, we're going to be dealing with, uh, as the text is very clear, wives, husbands, and marriage. And so before we dive into this, I do have several introductory comments that I just want to touch on briefly before we jump into the text in terms of marriage. Now listen, brethren, undoubtedly, you know there is an attack, a spiritual attack upon biblical marriage in our culture, uh, in our world. And this has been since Genesis chapter 3 that we read in our Old Testament reading. Brethren, Satan knows where to hit. He is not a fool, whether that's in our own nation uh, with uh, liberal uh, and progressive feminism or all the way to Pope Francis, who recently uh, commanded all bishops to bless same-sex unions in the Roman Catholic Church. And what is encouraging about that is several of them are pushing back and saying that's not biblical. Uh, but brethren, I suspect that marriage is attacked the hardest because of uh, what it pictures and what it represents. And that leads me now into my second point here. Brethren, we've got to understand that the glory of marriage is that it is a picture of Christ in the church. <laughs> it is a picture of, of, of us as the bride of Christ and our Lord. And that's what Paul explicitly says there in verse 32, that this mystery is profound, and he says that it refers to Christ and the church. And so our marriages testify to the world of the goodness of Christ and His love for His people. And before you think, well, I'm not married here this morning, just remember this, okay, that this is a picture of Christ and the church. And for those of you who are single in the room, uh, this is the model upon which you want to build your life upon what does it mean to be a biblical husband and what does it mean to be a biblical wife. But all of it, brethren, points to the glory of Christ and our submission to Him and His uh, love for us as our head. And thirdly here, uh, brethren, there is a great need this morning to listen with humility. Now listen, there, there is this reality in every single time we approach God's Word. We must come with a, uh, a humble heart. We must receive the Word with meekness. But brethren, it has been on my heart this week and my prayer for all of us, including myself, that we would sit here this morning, we would hear God speak to us through His Word, and we would receive the Word with humility and with meekness. And as the Word shines into the areas of our hearts where we hide those, those, those dark sins over in the corner and it is exposed, brethren, that we would hear it and we would conform our lives more and more to the teaching of Christ in the gospel. 
And uh, this uh, requires from you that when you hear the word preached, I don't want you to say, oh, I hope so-and-so is listening. Or I wish so-and-so was here to hear this. No, 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 no. No, God is speaking to you this morning. I want you to hear the word of God. And uh, ladies, no elbowing your husband, uh, pointing, saying, hey, you should listen. Men, no, no, no elbowing your wives and making sure they're awake and, and listening to the word this morning. But each of us would come in humility and hear God's word to us this morning. And this leads us to the fourth comment here. Uh, listen, despite the impression that we give on Sunday mornings, all marriages have their difficulties. They have their hard seasons. They have their hard days. Uh, they have their regrets and their frustrations and their shortcomings and their failures from one degree to another. But church, listen. God's continued grace, His everlasting forgiveness, His abounding and enduring mercy, his infinite patience and His omnipotence is what keeps your marriage together. That's what keeps your marriages together. The goodness of Christ. And brethren, there, there is through the Gospel, there is victory. Church, there's victory over sin. There's victory over shortcomings. There's victory over bitterness and despair. And there is real joy and there is real hope found in Christ. You've got to believe that this morning. You've got to believe that. And lastly here, uh, listen, the gospel radically changes men and women. It radically changes us. Ladies, in Genesis chapter 3, we read that part of the curse of sin upon you is that you will seek to usurp your husband's authority. You will seek to control your husband and be unwilling to be led by him. And men, part of the curse upon us is that we will be harsh, we will dominate, we will want to rule our wives. Sin brought a struggle within the marriage union. But, but in Christ, through the gospel and in the power of the Spirit of God, everything changes. When you come to Christ and you believe the gospel and He makes you a new creation, the old man, the old woman who was dead in sin, bent toward hell, bent toward disobedience, now in the gospel, we come in now and wives, instead of being stubborn and being unwilling to follow your husband, now in Christ and by the power of the Spirit, you can submit to Him. And you are driven to submit to Him joyfully and willingly because of your love for Christ. And men, instead of dominating our wives, we lovingly and sacrificially lay down our life for our wife's well-being and glory. That's what the Gospel does. It completely reverses the curse of sin. That's good news for us. That's encouraging for us. The Gospel makes everything right how it is supposed to be lived in God's world. So with all of those thoughts in mind this morning, uh, let, us, let us dive into the passage. And uh, the title of this sermon is The Gospel in Marriage. Subtitled, Submission and Love. Submission and Love. The Gospel in Marriage, we're looking at Submission and Love this morning. 
Let us first here begin with wives. Verse 22 to 24. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Wives, submit to your husbands. Submission is your divine calling to honor and affirm your husband's leadership and authority in the home. It is your disposition. It is your, it, it is your character. It is your, 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 your thought to yield and to follow his lead. To follow him. And the manner of your submission is important. Paul says this, a couple things. He says, your own husband's. You are to submit to your own husband. Submission is, is, is in the context of your marriage. Not, it's your husband, not your dad anymore. You've left your father and you've left your mother and you're now joined together in a union. It's not other men. It's not your brother or it's not other men's husbands. You submit to your husband. Your allegiance is to him, not all other men. There is, there is a uniqueness here that's in the context of marriage. And secondly, Paul says, as to the Lord. This is important. Your submission to your husband is seen as your service unto Christ. You submit to your husband as to the Lord. As to the Lord. Your commitment to Christ, to love Christ, and to honor Christ will lead you to submit lovingly and willingly to your husband. Now, do you view submission that way? Do you view it as part of your service to Christ? Now, listen, submission is not, and I'm going to give a couple things here, and I'm going to give some blessings of it. Submission is not mindless. Okay, ladies? Submission is not mindless. You are not a doormat to be trampled on. You are not unable to express disagreement. Ladies, you are not unable to express your opinion. You are not unable to give input and to give suggestions to the thousands of decisions that need to be made within the context of marriage. You're not to submit mindlessly. However, when all has been said and done, the bottom line is you are called by God to submit to your husband's leadership and authority in the home. And look no further than to the example of Christ. Christ in the garden, on His way to the cross. He engages in prayer with the Father about doing this another way. Is there any other way to avoid the immense suffering he's about to endure? And he has dialogue with the Father. Three times he's praying for another way. Is there another way? But his commitment, after all is said and done, is expressed in not my will, but your will be done. There's the example of your Lord. It's not a mindless submission. It's also not about ability. Listen, ladies, submission is not about ability. In some cases, you will be more competent than your husband. I, I, I've seen this and we have seen this as, as pastors plenty of times. 
Well, the wife is farther along in the Christian life. She's more godly. She's more competent in the Scriptures. She's hungrier for the Word. She's, she's wiser in many areas. Well, ladies, you need to be aware of this. You need to be aware. This can breed contempt for your husband. This could breed uh, bitterness. This could breed frustration within the marriage. This could breed a, a belittling spirit towards your husband. And even if these be true, ladies, you are called to submit to your husband as to Christ, trusting the Lord to lead you through him. To lead you through him. Despite his ability or not. And if your husband has any sense of wisdom, he will listen to your input. <laughs> he will listen to you and he will delegate responsibility where necessary in areas where you thrive. It's not just about ability. And listen, this is the most important one here. Ladies, your submission is not conditional. It's not conditional. It's not conditional on your husband's performance. This is really important. Your husband does not need to earn your submission. Doesn't need to earn your submission. Now, is it easier if he's a godly leader? Well, of course it's easier if he's a godly leader, but, he's not, but it's not conditional. It's not something he has to earn. Just like when I get to you men, your love for your wife is not conditional on her performance. It's not conditional on her performance either. We are called to love our wives as Christ loved the church. Because you know what, men? You and I were unworthy. Unworthy sinners, yet Christ still loved us. So it goes both ways. It goes both ways. This is not conditional. Nevertheless, despite his performance as a leader, God calls you to submit to him by honoring his leadership and his authority in the home and bringing yourself underneath him for the glory of Christ. Now, there are immense blessings, <laughs> immense blessings in joyful and godly submission. You've got to see this, ladies. There is blessing. There is joy. There is power in your submission to your husband. There is life-giving power in your obedience to the Scriptures. And keep your finger here in Ephesians and go over back to 1 Peter. I want you to see this. Go back to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3. I want to look at it a little bit here this morning. Likewise, first, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, 1 Peter. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands. That word, be subject, that's our word, submission. Be, uh, submit to your husbands. Be subject to your own husbands. Same idea as Paul. So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Ladies, your husband can be one. You could win him. You could win him. And Peter says, you could win even an unbelieving husband, one who does not obey the word. There is power here, and you could do it without a word. Without a word. You could put your sharp tongue away 
and you could win him without a word by your respectful and pure conduct. You could win him. There's power here. There's life-giving power here for you ladies. And if that is true of an unbelieving husband who does not obey the word, how much more, how much more for a believing spouse can you win your husband? Who is an heir with you in the gospel of Christ, who's full of the Spirit of God, who's been sealed for the day of redemption, how much more can you win him? You most certainly can, without a word, by your respectful and pure conduct. That's power. <laughs> you got to believe that. Because you know what? Our flesh doesn't want to believe that. Our old sinful nature doesn't want to believe that. And when you're prone to think that way, you got to think of the curse in Genesis 3 and fight against that by the Spirit of God. Say, no, I'm not going to act like that. There's power here. There's power and blessing. And there's also immense beauty. Immense beauty. This is what Peter says in verse 3. It says, do not let your adorning... That's, this word pops up several times here. Don't let your adorning be merely external, the braiding of your hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty. There's beauty here. The imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. How? By submitting to their own husbands. Ladies, you are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Godly, Christ-like women in the Scriptures who adorn themselves with beauty. And a godly, quiet, and submissive spirit. Submitting to their husbands. There is something immensely attractive in that. There is something immensely beautiful in that. And you know what? It says in verse 4 here, in God's sight, very precious. In God's eyes, very precious, very costly, having immense value. It is, it is, it is worth, it, it, it's worth is big. It's big. There's glory here. It's very precious to God. And the world, ladies, thinks submission to your husband is an utter abomination. It's an abomination to the unbelieving world. It is laughed at. It is mocked. Submission to your spouse. You do that, you'll be seen and looked at as a fool. You're an archaic fool for you to submit underneath your husband's headship. And people will stand, if you've not seen this before, they will stand in utter disbelief. Their jaw will fall to the ground when you say, no, my husband doesn't want to do that, and so we're not going to do that. We're one in Christ. What? What? We've experienced this. Sierra and I uh, recently, we were at my mom's house uh, talking to some folks about a wedding and 
uh, different things to wear at the wedding. And these two ladies were asking my wife, like, oh, would you wear this to the wedding? My wife's like, no, nah, I don't think so. And she goes, well, would you wear this to the, you know, like, is this modest, essentially? Is this modest enough for you? She's like, no, nah, I wouldn't wear that. And uh, there was another one shown to her. And uh, she was like, oh, I don't know. Let me ask my husband. What do you think? No, nah, I don't like it. Okay, I'm like, I don't like that one either. And they're, what? What? It's just that easy. Unbelievable. Biblical submission in the marriage is laughed at. It's laughed at. You'll be looked like a fool. People will stand in utter disbelief. But you know what? Who cares what the world thinks? Who cares, ladies, what other people think of you? doesn't matter. In God's eyes, it's very precious. It's, it's, it's valuable. It means something to Him. His opinion of you is all that matters. And you know what? He will bless your obedience. He will bless your heart to come underneath, to seek to, 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 seek to serve Christ, and, and, and to come underneath the, the, the authority of your husband, even if he doesn't deserve it. God is not unjust to reward your good works. He's not. He blesses obedience. It's very precious to him. He will bless it. Now, let's go back to Ephesians here. Verse 23. I'm going to move a little quicker here. Uh, there's, there's 22 for you. Now, Paul makes an analogy here uh, as to why, why wives should submit to their husbands. Um, and Paul says in verse 23, for because the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Husbands are the head as Christ is the head. Headship is modeled after Christ's headship. And understanding Christ's headship and what that entails will do two things for us. Ladies, it will exhort you here, and men, husbands, it'll teach us here. What does biblical headship look like? Now, we've seen this idea before. Back in chapter 1 of Ephesians, uh, if we were just hearing this letter read, we would, we, we would think, oh yeah, Paul just talked about this a few minutes ago. Uh, for us, it was, I don't know, several months ago. But in chapter 1, verse 22 of Ephesians, we read here that, uh, and He, God, put all things under His feet, that's Christ, and gave Him, Christ, as head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. And so, uh, the idea here is, is that God put all things under His feet. That's your word, submission. God the Father put all things in submission to Christ and also gave Him as head over all things. So we need to look at Christ's headship, and we can learn some things here. Now, I want you to, and then it's also in um, verse, or chapter 4, verse number 15, we have headship mentioned again there. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. So right away we have all things put under submission to Christ, and Christ is the head. So we need to look at what does that mean in Christ, and what can we learn from that? And how could that exhort us as, as, as men and women, as husband and as wives here? Now notice this, that Christ's headship, He's given as head, and His authority, notice how it's used. 
Notice how this is used. It is not to control. It is not to domineer. It is not to rule with an iron fist. But His headship and His authority was given to benefit the church. To benefit His bride, you and I, in the greatest possible way. To reconcile us to God through His death. That's what His headship is about. The benefit of the church. The benefit of you and I, His bride. Christ as head. He serves us. He saves us. He protects us. He delivers us for our ultimate benefit. For our ultimate benefit. That's what His headship looks like. And ladies, your submission to your husband is for your greatest benefit. You have got to believe that. That's the analogy here. It is for your benefit. It is for your joy. It is for your growth. It is for your satisfaction. It is for your stability. It is for your protection. It is for your glory. Now, do you view your husband's headship in this way? Do you view it as a benefit to you? Or do you view it as a burden to you? Do you view submission as a benefit? Or as a burden? You've got to ask yourself that question. How do you view headship and submission? We've got to believe that it's for our own good for the glory, or your own good, for the glory of Christ. Now, Paul says here, conclusion, verse 24, As the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Ladies, you have to ask the question. Wives, you have to ask the question. Are you characterized by a submissive spirit? Does that characterize you? Or... Are you characterized by rebellion and stubbornness? You just have to answer the question for yourself. And may the Lord help you and encourage you and lead you to honor Him in the godly, joyful submission of your husband. Now, men... Move in here to verse 25 here. Paul's word to wives, as you could tell just looking at the passage, is quite short. It's a short section. Now his word to husbands is much, much longer. And rightfully so. Men, in marriage, the emphasis lies on us. The emphasis lies on us. Since we are the head, the health of our marriages primarily depends on you and on I. The emphasis is here upon the husband. If our marriages are having a bad week, you and I need to get our acts together. We are the head. That means, as head, as Wives have a 
divine calling to submit to the loving rule and authority of the husband. Gentlemen, us as head means we have a duty to lovingly lead, serve, protect, and provide for our wives. Now notice here the emphasis, and I have this highlighted in my Bible, but I want you to see it. The emphasis is not on your authority to govern, though you have that. You have the authority to govern, but that's not what the emphasis lies upon. What is it? What does the emphasis lie upon here? Love. <laughs> love. Three times Paul mentions it. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives. Verse 28, husbands, love their wives. Verse 33, let each of you love his wife. There is the emphasis for us men to love our wives, to love them. Now, verse 25 reads this, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Here's the model. Here's the bar. Christ's love for the church. That's the bar. It goes without saying, that is very demanding. That is a very demanding statement. We are to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That is a very demanding statement. Equally as demanding, ladies, as wives submit to your husbands in everything. Now, to love one's wife is not a real radical statement in the ancient world, in the Roman world here, and even in our own context. That's not a real radical statement, love your wife. What is radical about that is how we are to love our wife. What does that love look like? To love our wife sacrificially at the cost of our own social standing, our own well-being, our own desires, even our own life was unthinkable and still today is unthinkable. Unthinkable to love our wife sacrificially like the Bible calls us to, like Christ commands us to do. Unthinkable. But this is the love we're called to. We are to love as Christ loved. And it cost him everything. It cost him everything. He lost social standing because of his love for his bride, the church. Christ sacrificed his own well-being out of love for his bride. He suffered tremendously for you and I, the church. Christ sacrificed his own desires in love for his bride. He forsook food. He forsook sleep. He forsook money. He forsook comfort. He forsook ease. Because he loved his bride, you. Because he loves you. That's the love we are called to. And Christ gave himself up. He died out of his love for his bride, the church, you and I. 
That's the love we're called to, gentlemen. That's the love we're called to. Now, now notice here what this type of love accomplished. This, this sacrificial love. What did, what did it accomplish? Did it, did it accomplish something? Oh, it most certainly did. Look at what Paul says. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, comma, verse 26, that. Here's the purpose. This is what the sacrificial love accomplished for his bride. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Christ's sacrificial love for His bride, you and I, accomplishes two things. That He might sanctify her, that's the first one, and that He might present the church, us, to Himself in splendor, to beautify us. Christ's sacrificial love accomplishes two things. Sanctifies us, cleanses us, and beautifies us. We are sanctified. Or in the noun form, we are saints. We heard this back in chapter 1. We, we are saints. Our, our identity now is found in Christ. Our standing, our position, we are saints. We are holy ones. We belong to Him because of His sacrificial love for us. We are His. That is where our identity is found. We belong to Christ. We are His holy ones. And we are also being sanctified, right? We are set apart for His purposes. And He took us and He cleansed us of our sin by washing us with the water of the Word. A reference to the Gospel. When we heard the Gospel and believed in Jesus Christ. And the Gospel is well, certainly partly about His sacrificial uh, love, laying down His life. Brother, when you believed in His uh, atoning death upon the cross, love displayed for us, you were washed. You were cleansed. His sacrificial love made you His. It set you apart for Him. We now belong to Him. We are cleansed and being cleansed progressively to be more conformed to His image. And He beautifies us. That's what He says there in verse number uh, 27. So that, another purpose clause here, he might present the church to himself in splendor. Oh, highlight that word, underline it, double circle it, draw some arrows into it. <laughs> to beautify you, to glorify you, to make you delightful in his eyes. Brethren, and church, Christ's love and care is beautifying you. It's beautifying you for the day we are presented to Him face to face. That's what His sacrificial love does for us. It sanctifies us and it's beautifying us. For the day we look and are presented to Him face to face, we are pictured as a young bride. A young bride with stunning beauty. With stunning beauty being presented to our bridegroom. Bridegroom, yes. A beauty that shocks people. 
a beauty that shocks people. Now, I've had the privilege of doing two of your weddings in this church and myself being married. And I remember uh, seeing my own wife on my wedding day and being utterly stunned of her beauty. Utterly stunned. When I saw you, is Nikki in here? When I saw Nikki, when I saw Hannah on your guys' wedding day, I was stunned by the beauty of you two women. Beautiful. Hair done nice, makeup looked good, beautiful dress. You spent time preparing yourself for that day. You looked wonderful. And men, you could testify to that when you saw your bride on your wedding day for the first time. I'm undoubtedly, you were probably stunned. And some of you certainly cried. The stunning beauty, just beautiful. That's what Christ is doing to us. That's what Christ is doing to you. He is making you more and more beautiful. And you know what? Though you may not feel it at times, and though you may not see it at times, Christ takes you and cleanses us from your filth, our filth, and He washes us. And He's preparing us for the day we meet Him face to face in glory and splendor. He's clothing you in glorious garments. He's making you beautiful to be presented to Himself. That's the difference, right? Husbands, we didn't do this to our wives on their wedding day. They did that with their friends in, in the side room or whatever, and they spent a few hours in there, and you know what? Praise the Lord. You spend a few hours in there, and you get ready, okay? But, but, but you know what? Here's the difference, though. This is what Christ is doing to us. He's the one who washes us. He's beautifying us. For himself. And Paul says here, in the same way, in the same way, husbands, as Christ is doing that to us, as Christ has sanctified us and is, and, and, and is beautifying us, in the same way, Paul says, husbands should love, verse 28 here. Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Now, should is way too weak of a translation. Every translation, including the NIV, has ought. Husbands ought to love their wives. Men, we have a divine obligation. Because of Christ's love for you, you are under duty, under oath. There's an oughtness there. To love your wife as Christ loved the church. You must love her. You must love your wife. Not should. You must love your wife. And men, as, as Christ sanctifies and beautifies you, His bride, our main concern is the holiness and the inward beauty of our spouses. That is our main concern that our sacrificial love would lead our wife to greater holiness and greater beauty of your spouse. Now this poses a question. Is your wife more or less holy because she's married to you? Is your wife more or less holy because she's married to you? You've got to answer that question. That's a very pressing 
question. If your wife is not growing in holiness and not growing in inward beauty, you and I are not loving our wives as Christ loved the church. That is our duty. That is our responsibility. That is our commission from our Lord. To love her in such a way that she would grow and grow and grow. Now this beautifying and sanctifying love involves a few things here. And we find that in verse number 29. For no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Husbands, we have a responsibility to nourish and to cherish our wife. This is part of sacrificially loving her and leading her is to nourish her and to cherish her. Now, to cherish her uh, and to nourish her per, uh, entails that, that, that we care and provide for her spiritually, emotionally, physically, Intimately care for her needs and her desires. Now, Paul uses these two words here, and I want to just touch on these just a little bit. To nourish is a caring provider. Okay? To caringly provide for your wife and to take initiative in it. This, the same word is used back with Joseph in Genesis. Genesis 45, 11, when he tells his brothers and his family, I will provide for you. Stay here in the land of Egypt. I will give you the land of Goshen. Go, go and dwell there. We have five more years of the famine left. I will provide for you. I will nourish you. He takes initiative here. Initiative. Men, you have to take initiative. Your wife will not grow on her own. Your wife will not uh, uh, provide on her, be provided for on her own. Your wife will not be protected physically on her own. We've got to take initiative here. And you know what sin does to us? It makes us not want to take initiative. It makes us to be passive. That's not headship. What does Christ do? Christ is our head. He takes initiative in everything. He took initiative to come and save you and I. He takes the initiative to sanctify you. He takes the initiative to care for you. And in the same way, we take initiative to care for and provide for our wives, to nourish her. Also, Paul says to cherish her. We're to cherish. Paul uses this word one other time. It's in 1 Thessalonians. And he uses it in his, speaking about his relationship to the church there in Thessalonica. And he says that we came to you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. There's your word. Like a nursing mother who's come to cherish, to, uh, like, like, a, like a nursing mother, her own children. The picture is that of a mother, and ladies, you know this, who would do anything for their nursing child. You'd do anything for that baby. That's the picture here. That's the idea. Husbands, about caring for our wives, doing anything for their well-being of your wife. That's the idea. And that means the good things and the hard things, the easy things and the difficult things. That means gently pushing back on her sin 
and gently correcting her and leading her through the Scriptures. You have to be able to correct your wife. That's what Christ does for you and for I. He lovingly corrects us. He also, Christ, provides for us physically. <laughs> he provides for you physically in the same way husbands, I don't, this is, doesn't apply in this context, go to work and provide for your husband. You're not a stay-at-home dad. All right, we've seen that also come around this church before. None of you guys ever met him, but it's okay. Stay-at-home dad. You know, there's no such thing as a stay-at-home dad. You go and you provide for your wife and graciously try to uh, allow her to stay home and care for the children, which is another sermon, but another radical idea in today's culture. But husbands, listen. Does your love for your wife lead you to care for her in this kind of way? I mean, will you do anything to provide her needs? Will you lose sleep at night when you want to go to bed, but some things need to be dealt with, or your wife wants to spend time with you? Well, i got to get up early. Well, will you do anything to care for her? Will you do anything to care for her spiritually? Will you take initiative in opening up the Bible with your families? Opening up the Bible with your spouse? Will you take initiative to uh, support her emotionally? We know she's having a bad day. Will you just sit and listen to her? And let her weep upon your shoulder and just pour out herself to you? Will you help her? Will you care for her physically, for her well-being? We ought to do this. This is our command and our commission by Christ. For no one ever hated his own flesh, as Paul says, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Now, in closing here, let's read verses 31 to 33 and just make a few comments here and then we'll pray. Therefore, Paul says, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is about their union. And then in verse 32, this, is, this deserves its own sermon. Paul says, this mystery is profound. But I, he's going to reveal it. We've talked about these mysteries before, right? Uncovered uh, up in the Old Testament, now been revealed in light of the gospel, in light of Christ, in light of his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. This is the mystery. Paul says it's profound. And I'm telling you, I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Fascinating. Fascinating. Marriage, again, is a picture of Christ's love and his union with you and I. Fascinating statement. It's about him and the church. So church, may our marriages reflect his glory. May our marriages display his great love to the world. May our marriages be a living testimony of the goodness of Christ. A testimony to the world, to your unsaved family members, that we serve a good and gracious God. Brother, may God help us. Let's pray.